Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 88, Islamiality, is our last week looking at this great world religion. Here comes the definitive Christian view on Islam. Of course it doesn't. I couldn't give you the definitive Christian view on the wetness of baptism water. What you're getting here is the view of one Christian at one point in time. As a young man, I was offended by the Quran view of Jesus, but I really envied their very tight sense of revelation. Why can't Anglican bishops have such a sharp sense of what God has told us, for instance? But somewhere along the road... I've gained some gratitude for the more typically nuanced church approach to divine revelation and their version of Jesus is possibly growing on me. So this is one Christian view on one day. Tomorrow I might well change my mind again. I am an ageing member of an old ageing religion talking today about a younger religion whose average follower in this country is considerably younger than me. Islam is growing amongst indigenous English people with no family links or Muslim background. It's winning quite a few heads and hearts. And my sense is it's particularly attractive to younger people. A couple of categories of spiritual seeker are increasingly joining them, people who might well have joined us a generation or two ago. Go into any jail and you will meet prisoners turning away from a life of crime to Allah rather than turning to Christ and singing Amazing Grace. We used to think we owned dramatic conversion, not any longer. And the other group are culturally conservative people who like rules. People who want a religion that tells them what to do, who instinctively like the rule of praying five times a day, not once, not when you feel like it, but five times every day. People with the sort of temperament who might once have warmed to Catholicism are turning to Allah. I'm not going to try and sell you Islam today, Nor do I want to rubbish this religion, which I respect. I'm going to pick out three features of Islam and say how they seem to me as one old Christian. In some ways, this feels a bit like a chemistry experiment because I'm interested in the way Christianity and Islam bounce off each other, or should I say react against each other, or possibly even leak into each other. Our three themes are singularity, exteriority and finality. I'm going to base it on one sentence of Muslim creed. Try this. There is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is the last of the prophets. That's the Shahada, the first pillar of Islam. Firstly, singularity. Islam is quite emphatic about the singularity of God. There is a unity, a numero uno, a singularity, not a plurality of God. It echoes the Jewish Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Now, what interests me is why Islam should feel the need to say this. Given that you've already got two monotheistic religions long established, 
when the Quran hit the streets, you already had six centuries of Christianity and at least a millennia of Judaism. So why would they feel the need to say this? Isn't the single unity of God a statement of the obvious by now? Is the very first and most foundational, fundamental statement of Islam simply a derivative repetition in Arabic of what Jews have always said in Hebrew and Christians have been saying for centuries in Greek and Latin? What's the point of it by now? How could a new religion gain legs when its opening line merely apes what the last religion has always said and the one before that? I think it's fair to say... Muhammad was no fool. He realised that the Christian father's attempts over several centuries to try and set out the divinity of Christ and to explain the Trinity had, let's be polite, not been wholly successful. Most Christians can spout the jargon thrashed out in the councils of Nicaea and Chalcedon, consubstantial one being, etc. Three persons, don't say three gods, Every Sunday, Christians recite creeds they don't really understand. At the very least, it's intellectually demanding beyond most people. Can a brain box make better sense of it? Rowan Williams is perhaps the cleverest churchman I have ever met. I worked my way slowly through his 2021 book, Looking East in Winter in which he tries to warm the frozen hearts of Western Christians by bringing them some insights from the Orthodox Church, who of course put a lot of emphasis on the Trinity. Now I'm a great fan of Rome Williams, but I found this book deeply disappointing. The only thing he succeeded in for this reader was demonstrating that the Trinity is just as baffling for Eastern Christians as for Western most Christian talk about Trinity is confusing, convoluted and frankly unconvincing. I think there is a case for saying that in some sense God is more than one, but why three? Yes, there is another side to the story, but we've made the case so badly that yes, by 600 there was a gap in the market for a new religion that simply said God is one. And in 21st century Britain, I would be surprised if you could find me anyone who has wrestled with the different theisms and then converted to Christianity saying it was the Trinity what done it. So the singularity of God in Islam, I think, is a clever reaction to Christianity's weakness. Remember, a religion does not have to be perfect to fly because we are so spiritually needy. All it has to do is look a bit better than the next one or the last one. So the first thing was singularity. And the second thing is exteriority. Yes, I'm really mangling the language here so I can have three alities. I think many American listeners will have realised by now that part of the mission of Church Ahead is to teach you to speak English properly. And I am letting you down today but in the interests of theological insight. So, exteriority, I can hardly say the word. This is where I think Muslims are great allies of Christians in contemporary Britain. 
During the 20th century, as society became more secular, there was a growing fashion to see religion as a private hobby. Come and meet our long-suffering office manager. We've got two oddballs in this office, Fred and Frida. Fred, he keeps pet tarantulas. And Frida, she goes to church on Sunday. What a pair they are. Now, if I may, Frida, I'd like a word with you. You'll see Fred never brings his tarantulas into this office. And we'd be grateful for the same courtesy from you with that religion of yours. We've got nothing against Christians or the followers of any other gods, as long as you keep it to yourself. But religion has got no place in the office and no place outside the home. Christians, it seems to me, have often been cowed by this sort of talk and felt the need to conform. But not the Muslims. Oh no, you're not going to get Islam back in its box. Islam is a strongly visible, outward-facing religion where, far from hiding your faith away, you bring it out and show and tell the whole world at every opportunity. This creates all sorts of cultural clashes in schools and factories and hospitals as they make their presence more visible in this country. I'm not going to comment on any of these spats other than to say this. I think Islam is a welcome ally in the battle against secularism. It's nice not to feel Billy no-mates in the arguments with people who want to edit religion out of the public square in this country. So I welcome the exteriority of British Muslims, certainly for the time being. As they gain strength, it's not inconceivable that they could be the ones trying to marginalise Christianity in the future. This country is changing very quickly. I can't see the future. But thus far, I welcome the exteriority of Islam in this country today. Our third and final theme, finally, it's got to be finality. With singularity, many Christians will have thought I was overly generous to the point of giving our faith away. With exteriority, I've made constructive common cause with them. So will it be a hat-trick of three positive points? No, not on your Nelly. That's a good Yorkshire name. Perhaps today I should say not on your Nadir, not on your Nish or not on your Namir, to use three popular Muslim names. OK, Muhammad might be the last canonical prophet of the three monotheistic faiths. But when they say Muhammad is the last of the prophets, they don't just mean last in the line. They mean final. They mean the last word. They mean there's nothing important left to say. It's a bit like the conservative evangelical rhetoric about the sufficiency of Scripture, where they suggest any big idea coming along after the canon of Scripture has closed must be an attack on the original deposit, which is a set, fixed and closed corpus of revelation. Muslims often talk about Muhammad as the seal of the prophets. So I'm not saying that Muslims are any worse than conservative Christians, but I suppose they're no better, and no better equipped to address the spiritual needs of third millennium 
Western Europeans. I am willing to concede that Muhammad was an important religious teacher, but not the last word. No, I can't accept that. I see it as one of the great strengths of the early church that they did not try to set Jesus up as the final word from God, perhaps the most important, but not necessarily the last. They understood that when God acts big, it's going to take human beings many centuries to get to the bottom of what it means and to catch up with it. And at the expense of undermining my first point against the Trinity in favour of God's singularity, our belief in God's Holy Spirit creates a lot of breathing space for later generations to experience God differently. One of Islam's weaknesses is that it's closed for business as far as fresh insights into the divine are concerned. I think they're missing out on many good things that came from the European Enlightenment, for example. And as a Christian, I'm bound to say that they could do with a reformation of their own. Of course, Islam is not just one thing, they, but they struggle with allowing the voices of reformers to emerge. Many more liberal British Muslims are frustrated by a closed, backward-leaning mindset that does not find looking forward comes easily. The irony is that the newest monotheistic religion is the most culturally conservative. When I look at the church's place at the table of talking about God, I see a lot of different people sat round that table. Of course, the Jews are in the room. The Muslims are in the room. The Eastern religions are in the room. The atheists are in that room. All sat round the same table. And we're all chatting away. It's a lively conversation in the north of England these days as we thrash out what it means to live with God and sometimes without God. The Muslims have one of the louder voices in the room and it's welcome. But no way do they have the final word after which nothing else needs to be said. As a young man, when I first looked carefully at Islam, I found it quite offensive. I thought the Jews might be a bit slow to get Jesus, but Islam deliberately sabotages his deity and his death, undermining the whole reason why he came. When I look at religious Muslims in my dotage, it often feels to me remarkably similar to looking at very earnest, full-fat Christians. I don't find their beliefs particularly offensive anymore. But I am far too long of this world to find them remotely tempting. If I have learned anything in this life, I am pretty clear that Allah is not the only God. And whatever name we use, Muhammad is not God's final word. Thank you for listening to episode 85. There's a big new series about the resurrection coming. Will we start it next week and do it for Lent or leave it till the liturgically correct period of after Easter? <laughs>